We're in Isaiah. We're going to be um, finishing the book, Lord willing, so chapters 40 through um, the end, all the way to 66. And if you guys are like, wow, like, it took three weeks to get through Isaiah. Like, Jeremiah is even longer. We have no hope. Um, I mean, that's kind of true, but um, the, the reason why we're spending time in Isaiah is because he's ministering first, and I really think he's laying the foundation that the rest of the prophets essentially are building on. So if we get Isaiah, I think the other ones are going to make sense uh, a lot more. A lot of those themes, they're going to pick up. And so that's why we're spending a lot of time in Isaiah. I hope that it's been fun for you guys so far. I know it's been fun for me. Um, just the more and more you study the prophets, you see how amazing they are, how rich they are in theology of the greatness of God, his sovereignty, his grace, his mercy towards his people. And you just start to see his plan really laid out. And like I said, Isaiah, I mean, even his name means Yahweh saves. And you're seeing that plan of theology of how God is going to save his people. So um, I, I mentioned, so if, if chapters 1 to 39 are kind of the what of, of, of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, basically, chapters 1 to 39, you could say 40 to 66 are the how, how this is going to happen, okay? And so I, if you have the notes on the back, um, again, that's just the page. If you're the PDF notes people or if you're the binder people, you just keep, you just keep moving along. Um, and so hopefully you should be able to follow along. But we've been looking in this first section, right? I mean, th this key theme throughout Isaiah uh, of judgment and hope, right? It it's just over and over, judgment, hope, judgment, hope, back and forth, back and forth. With the first part of the book, I would argue generally the emphasis is on judgment, the second half is one of hope. The second half is one of hope, particularly in the servant of Yahweh, who we're going to see is none other than Jesus the Messiah. And so we left off last week. At the very end, if you guys remember, kind of that transition section, Isaiah 36 to 39, where you have the Assyrians laying siege to Jerusalem, and the Lord acts for the sake of his own name. You see in 37, verse 35, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And you see God's glory is what is at the core of why he's saving his people. And also, um, as we're going to see in Isaiah um, 54 and 55, because of his covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, he's going to be faithful to his promises. And that continues. He strikes down the 185,000 in the middle of the night. But... What shows up in the next chapter? Who shows up in the next chapter? Babylon. Babylon, right? And if you remember from the earlier chapters, especially Isaiah 13 through 27, you know, it seems that Assyria, well, those are the, those are the bad guys. Th those are the guys we've got to watch out for. And you actually realize in Isaiah's prophecy, he's saying, no, actually Babylon. He starts with Babylon, and then he ends with Babylon, and saying, this is who you need to watch out for. And then by the time we get to Isaiah 39, you guys see King Hezekiah welcoming Babylon gladly, and you guys are going, uh-oh, bad news bears. This is not what we want, okay? And so that's where we left off. So we were looking at the, again, I'm just following, these are my outlines I had from college. Book of Promise, chapters 1 to 39. Now we're on point B, Book of Fulfillment, chapters 40 through 66. Number one, good news, the great God of comfort is coming. And here... What Isaiah is going to prophesy is that exile is coming. We've known that that is coming. But on the other side of exile, there's hope. There's going to be redemption 
for God's people he's prophesying. Much of, much of chapters 40 to the end are prophecy. Okay, so we're talking about what are the prophets even doing. A lot of it is they're indicting the people because of their sin. They're transgressing the covenant. Well, when we come to 40 to the end, a lot of it is prophecy. A lot of it is this is going to take place. And look at how he starts. Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort. My people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand a double for all her sins. So in light of all this judgment that's coming from God's hand through the nation of Babylon, there's comfort. Comfort for God's people. And how is that comfort going to come? Listen to verse 3. You guys should be familiar with this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Where's that from? Do you guys remember that? Where? New Testament. John the Baptist. Preparing the way for Jesus. But look at the text here. In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. So is John the Baptist just crazy? No, he's actually making a deep theological statement that Jesus is equal with who? Yahweh. He's God the Son, God the Son incarnate. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And you, you guys remember highway. That's key through some of those earlier prophecies in um, Isaiah 11 and um, I think 19. <coughs> Excuse me. Of this second exodus that is going to happen. Verse 5 of chapter 40. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So the Messiah, Yahweh, God with us, is going to reveal God's glory. If you remember Isaiah 6, what was the, the vision that captivated, I mean, Mike even preached on it last week, the vision that captivated Isaiah in his ministry is he saw the Lord, and he was what? High, high and lifted up. Remember that. That's going to be vital for today. He's high and lifted up, and he sees that the whole earth is full of his what? His glory. And we saw from Isaiah 2 that presently the land of Israel was not filled with God's glory. What was it filled with? Idols, sinfulness, wickedness. And so I argue that Isaiah is seeing the future. He's seeing the day when the earth will actually be filled with God's glory. And we're starting to see already in Isaiah 40 who is the one who's going to reveal that glory. It's Yahweh, but more specifically, who is it? Jesus, the Son, the Messiah. So comfort, comfort my people, Israel. And so we move on. I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, you guys already know this. We can't cover everything. Um, th there's amazing things. You can meditate on chapter 40. Um, really, the song we sing, Behold Our God, is based on Isaiah chapter 40. Um, <clears throat> it's an amazing passage of Scripture. But we come over to Isaiah 41. Write this down. We need to pay very, very close attention to the word servant. Servant. From Isaiah 41... Excuse me, to the end, <clears throat> we need to pay close attention to the word servant. And so we even see this in, in 41 verse 2. Um, he's talking about, well, first back in verse 1, he says, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. You can't get into all of this, but in Isaiah, or excuse me, not Isaiah 10, Genesis 10, the table of nations, it's actually recording where the nations go after the flood, okay? And the nations disperse all over the world, and the coastlands are actually the people farthest away, right? You know, like you think of, 
you know, like the West Coast of America and the East Coast. Like they're, they're the people on the edges, right? Does that make sense? They're, they're the people the farthest away. And so here, and this is key all throughout Isaiah as well. I didn't mention it until now. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. So even the people who are farthest away, this message is for you. So we've seen already throughout Isaiah, it's not just for Israel, it's actually for all the nations, and we see that even here. Listen to me, O coastlands. But you see verse 2, who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step. He's actually talking about Cyrus, king of Persia. Okay, and we're going to see that in Isaiah 45 and 44. (coughs) But you even see, and we're going to see this fleshed out, especially in Daniel. You just see God's sovereignty over the nations. So clear in the prophets. Because there's like Assyria. They're the super big bad guys. No, they're like smoking twigs in the fire. As Isaiah 7 says. They're, they're about to go out. They're nothing. And then Babylon is who you need to watch out for. And now he's even moving on from Babylon. To Persia. The Medes and the Persians. And he's saying, these guys, it, 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 they're all within his power. And he's moving them wherever he wants. And he's prophesying, look, Cyrus is coming. He's even going to come. He's the next big bad guy up on the, up on the agenda, if you want to say that. So you see that starting at 41 verse 2. 41 verse 8, and, and here's where we see this, this theology of servant, okay? 41 verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham. Okay, who's the servant? It's not a trick question. Israel, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham. Verse 9, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not cast you off. Israel is the servant. You guys see that? In the text, okay? Israel's the servant. Okay, now, flip over to 42. I think I have this up on the screen. Yeah. (coughs) 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant... Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Do you guys remember, was, was there an earlier passage in Isaiah where it talked about someone with the spirit upon him? Remember Isaiah 11? Did someone say that? Isaiah 11, very much talking about the seed, the branch, right? We've seen this, you know, so all throughout Isaiah. He's using language like seed, the branch, uh, the root, you know, the, the, the hacked down tree, of, of Israel, from that will arise a stump from the shoot of Jesse, right? So the seed, the stump, it's Davidic, and here we see that same language, I put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street, a bruised reed he will not break, in a faintly burning week he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So here in this passage, the servant ain't Israel. The servant is not Israel. And do you guys remember, does this sound familiar somewhere? Like, I don't know, when maybe Mark preached through this book maybe like a couple years ago in Matthew? This is a joke. Who quotes this? as being fulfilled in his life and ministry. Sounds like squirrel, but it's probably Jesus, right? Jesus quotes this passage and says, this was talking about me, okay? So we need to do the hermeneutical work. Hermeneutics is just a fancy word for how we study the Bible and how we know what it means. 
We need to do the work and go, okay, is Jesus just taking this passage completely out of context? I'm going to argue absolutely not. That Jesus is actually reading this passage in context, and he understands that, yes, Isaiah 41 is talking about Israel, who's supposed to be God's servant. In Isaiah 42, there's a different servant who has the Spirit of the Lord upon him, who's going to bring forth justice to the nations, justice in all the earth, and even the coastlands are going to hear. That's not just Israel. That's someone who represents and stands for everything that Israel was supposed to be. You guys tracking with me? That's what's going on in this text. This is the servant who's the stump, the seed from Jesse. If you look at 42 verse 7, what's he going to do? Isaiah 42 verse 7, he's going to open the eyes that are blind. Okay, well, Israel is blind. They can't open their own eyes. This is someone else. This is what Jesus is going to do in his ministry. But then notice, back to 42, verse 18, Isaiah 42, 18. You tracking with me? Hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Okay, we're back to some other servant now. It has to be, because this servant is blind, and the other one wasn't. The other one is going to open the eyes of the blind. Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as a servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. He's talking about Israel. Israel is a morally and spiritually blind servant. They cannot see. They're sinful. And so there is a coming servant who is going to stand and represent and do everything that Israel was supposed to do. You guys tracking with me? Okay, that's what's going on with this servant. So we're seeing this movement back and forth. Who is the servant. I'm going to jump ahead to um, chapter 44, because I need to. <laughs> chapter 44. And this is on the screen, right? 44, verse 1. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Who's, who's the servant? Israel, right? Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Jeshurun, just another name for Israel, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry, dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So now you see that upon Israel, what? The spirit is going to be poured out upon them. Not just one servant, but a multiplicity of them, you could say, right? A bunch of them. The spirit is going to be poured out. 44 verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I've redeemed you. Whoa, he's forgiving their sins. How is he going to do that? Think about that. Think, how is he going to forgive sins? By the way, I mean, just preview of coming attractions because we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. What's the passage in Isaiah that everyone goes to all the time because it talks about the suffering servant? Isaiah 53. So keep that in mind, okay? Isaiah 53 is about Jesus, but it's not just out of nowhere, okay? So I'm building towards that. That's where we're going. We see this interplay, Israel as a wicked, sinful, blind servant, and this other servant. You see down in, in 44.28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. I, I mentioned this week one. Um, you know, a lot of scholars, they'll debate Isaiah because, whoa, how can he be prophesying about Cyrus 200 years in advance? Well, we have a simple answer. 
because it's God's word and he can prophesy. And it's actually very simple. But if you don't believe in God, well, then I can understand how that's a problem for you. But for us, we go, wow, that's a great proof that God's word is amazing. Okay. He's talking about Cyrus. He's coming. Okay. Next page. Because I have to. Um, let's see. 45. I don't need to talk about that. <coughs> We're skipping a lot. Let's go to 47. Chapter 47. Here in, in context, 47 verse 1, he says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. He, he's talking about Babylon, prophesying that they too will be destroyed. It's interesting, I think. He says, come down and sit in the dust. He's bringing them down. They're, Babylon is not going to be high and lifted up. They're not going to exalt themselves. God is jealous for his namesake and for his glory. What does he say? My glory I will not give to another. He's not going to give it to Babylon. You come over to 47 verse 8, and you kind of see, again, I, I mentioned this, but Babel, well, well, Babylon is just the same thing as Babel. Okay, Tower of Babel, Babel, Babylon, same thing, same word. And you kind of see it as symbolic throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament as this satanic, wicked, you could just say like the city of man, okay? And you start to see this here. This was... Just to encourage you guys, I didn't read this in a book or anything like that. I was just reading this chapter, and I was just sitting down thinking about it a little bit. This is, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying, read your Bibles. There's no, there's no quick way around it. You just have to read your Bible. Look at 47 verse 8. He's condemning Babylon. Now, therefore, hear this, you lovers of pleasure who sit um, securely, who say in your heart, this is what Babylon is saying, I am and there's no one besides me. Who in the Bible typically says, I am, and there's no one besides me? Yahweh, right? What is Babylon doing? They're saying, I am, and there's no one besides me. That is wicked, that is evil, that is satanic, and that is why God is going to judge them. Verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am. This is verse 10. And there's no one besides me. <coughs> it's 11. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. Judgment is coming for even Babylon. Okay. That was free. Um, 49. Chapter 49. There we go. Chapter 49. We come back to the servant. Here he shows. Here he is. 49 verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands. You see it again. The people furthest away. And give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. Begin asking yourself questions. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. What does that sound like to anyone in the book of Revelation? Revelation 19, right? Out of his mouth comes a sword with which to strike down the nations. Where is Isaiah getting his theology from? He's not just whipping it out of nowhere. He's basing it in Isaiah. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel. Okay, so he's talking about Israel and whom I will be glorified. Now come down to verse 5. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. What in the world is going on there? 
the servant cannot be Israel because the servant is bringing Israel back. Do you see that? Read it again. He formed me to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. So here's a coming servant who stands for and represents everything that Israel was supposed to be, and he's going to be the one that the Lord appoints to bring his people back. He goes on in verse 6. You have it up there on the screen. <coughs> he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And by the way, that's in Acts 13. Acts 13, 47. That Paul quotes. So Paul's picking this up. And he sees that this is being fulfilled in who? In the person? Jesus. How are they doing this? And we're building a case for how that actually makes sense. 49 verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul quotes that in 2 Corinthians 6. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You're seeing all this theology. You're going to be reading Isaiah, and you're like, man, that sounds like this passage in the New Testament. That sounds like this passage all throughout. Uh, let me see. We ran out of time. There's so much here. Let's go to chapter 50. <coughs> yeah, chapter 50. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not back. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Here's someone saying, God, your will be done. This is one who hears. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Verse 9, behold, the Lord God helps me. Who, would, who will declare me guilty? Is Israel guilty? Yes, they are very guilty. Isaiah has been preaching that. Is this guy guilty? No, he's innocent. This is an innocent servant. Verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? This is someone else. Let's go to chapter 52. <coughs> chapter 52. The Lord's coming salvation. 52 verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who brings the gospel. Quote in Romans 10. How beautiful... Verse 9, break forth together into singing the waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. So Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort, O ye my people. Now that comfort has come in Isaiah 52. How? We're getting there. That's, that's doing it, right? The Lord has comforted his people. The Lord has bared his holy arm before all the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Verse 11, depart. Depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. What does that sound like? What event? Exodus. 
we've already been preaching this so much there in Isaiah, that there's going to be a what? Not a first exodus, a, a second exodus. That the Lord's servant, the branch of Jesse, the king in David's line, is going to lead. And now we get into what? The suffering servant. You see the context of what's going on here? Behold, my servant, and, and this is where if it's fuzzy, it becomes crystal clear. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Where did we read that? Isaiah 6. Yahweh is the only one who is high and lifted up. And here, who else is high and lifted up? The servant. This is God, truly God, who is the servant. And he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Listen to this, verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. <coughs> this word sprinkle most notably appears over and over and over in the book of Leviticus. Right? James was talking about Leviticus a few months ago. Dealing with atonement. Dealing with atonement. A, a sacrifice for sins that brings right communion and fellowship in relation with God. And so we see this servant is going to sprinkle. He's going to make atonement for Israel. Nope. What does he say? Many nations. Not just for Israel. So you're starting to see, oh man, this is, wait, how did the Gentiles, how are we partakers in the new covenant? Which is a huge question we're going to talk about in later weeks. We're starting to see already intrinsic to these Old Testament promises is that the sacrifice of the servant was never just for Israel. It was for all the nations, for all the peoples to come and glorify God. Kings, I'm back in verse 15, shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. 53, verse 2, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Remember root, stump? We've been hearing all these key terms all throughout Isaiah. He was despised, rejected by men. <coughs> verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's making atonement. This servant is dying in the place for his people. I'm going to run out of time, so i got to Keep moving forward. Um, <clears throat> verse 11, chapter 53. Of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, is Israel righteous? No. This is a righteous servant. He shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And it goes on. Yet he bore the sin of many. And so here we see full, you know, HD, 4K, whatever, they're probably past 4K now. The servant is God, who is high and lifted up. You guys see that? You tracking with me? Okay, so all those other servant songs, that's what they're called in Isaiah, and we're not done, by the way, um, you can start to see hermeneutically where the New Testament writer's crazy. No, they're just reading Isaiah in context, and they're going, okay, 
Israel, okay, but this is someone who is clearly not Israel. Okay, Israel, this is someone who's clearly not Israel, but one who stands in and represents and embodies and succeeds everywhere where Israel failed. Does that make sense? Okay. Continue on, 54. Chapter 54, there's some amazing stuff in here, and I don't, I don't know if we'll have time, but that's okay. <coughs> 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing. Here, here's rejoicing. And cry aloud, for you have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more. By the way, that word more is the same word um, for many, actually, up there. Yet he bore the sin of many. Still in context, the same people. Th- those same people are going to rejoice. Okay, verse 3. You'll spread about to the... R- Just bear with me a little bit here. I know this can be a little confusing. Just if it's not clear in a few minutes, I have failed. Okay. 54 verse 3, you'll spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations. Okay, where maybe in Genesis somewhere there was offspring, a bunch of them, and like nations and blessing. What covenant? Abrahamic covenant. You see that in the text? Okay, keep going on. Let's come down to like verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Okay, who, um, okay, somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, no, not yet, um, somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, you know, God, you know, he makes his covenant with his people Israel, and it's kind of like he's their husband, and they're his wife. He makes a covenant, like maybe on a mountain, and Moses comes down with like, I don't know, a few commandments. What covenant is that? Mosaic covenant, okay? You guys see, see kind of the illusions there, husband, wife. Okay, so we've got Abrahamic, Mosaic. You're like, oh, wait, there's like maybe one more. Okay, we're going to keep going. Actually, there's two more. Verse 9, this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah shall no more uh, go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, will not rebuke you. Okay, was there somewhere in Genesis, like, a Noahic covenant? Okay, you guys are tracking with me. Okay. Okay, three. What's the one we're missing? Davidic. The one covenant to rule them all, right? The one ring. It's not a ring, but it's the covenant, okay? Verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace. Oh, he's even talking about a covenant shall not be removed. Okay, keep tracking with me. Just, just, everything will be clear. Verse 13, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. Okay, so there's, there's maybe some coming covenant or something. And all the children, everyone's going to know the Lord. Verse 14, in righteousness you shall be established. Come down to verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of, of the servants, servants, plural. This is actually the first time, and I think I have a slide for that verse. The first time from um, Isaiah 40 until now that servants is in the plural, that there's a plural servants. Now, I would argue the reason why there's a plural servants is because of the work of the singular servant. Because of the work of the one, there can now be the many. Keep reading with me. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So Davidic covenant, you finally got it. All four of the big ones are in there. But he's talking about what? A coming new covenant, which we're going to see. It's like, okay, well, it's kind of a little fuzzy in this passage. Jeremiah is going to flesh that out. Jeremiah 31. We're going to talk about that, Lord willing, next week. The new covenant. That is how the work of the one servant is going to lead to the many servants. There's a coming new covenant. And the one who's going to bring about that covenant is a descendant of David. Verse 5, behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know. I'm not sure if I have this up here. I do, sorry. <clears throat> Verse 5, behold, you will call a nation you did not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. So not just Israel, all the nations. All the nations. So we see this one represents the many. And the reason why I kind of wanted to stress this is because it makes sense of this thing we call corporate solidarity. Basically, it's just a fancy word for the one represents the many. And the reason why it's important is because when Paul in the New Testament is talking about, I have been buried with Christ, I, I have died with him, he said, I'm a new creation in Christ. Right? In, in Romans 5, he's talking about what? In Adam, all die, but in Christ, all will be made alive. So you have this notion that Paul is really bringing out, but it's also in the Old Testament of this one person representing the many, right? You guys see that in Isaiah, but particularly in the New Testament? Again, Paul's not whipping that out of nowhere. He's drawing that from the Old Testament. This is how God works. His servant is going to bring about this work so that there will be a multitude of servants. And you gotta keep going. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. <coughs> I don't know if you can read that. I feel a little small. I'll try and read it quick. Isaiah 56, verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For this says the Lord to the eunuchs. Is there anywhere, maybe in like the Acts of the Apostles, where someone is a eunuch and he's talking to someone? Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's reading this passage. And he's saying, I have no hope. I'm a dry tree. And what he's talking about there is that under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, he actually could not worship the Lord rightly. It was outside, of within the covenant regulations, he could not. And he's saying, look, I'm a dry tree. But then keep reading. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. So there's going to be a coming new covenant where they actually can participate. You guys see that? <coughs> Verse 5. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Again, plural. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, who holds fast my covenant. There's a coming covenant where they actually can participate. There's so much here, I just, I can't. Verse 7, he's talking about this is going to be on a holy mountain, burnt offering, sacrifices for all peoples. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those all 
ready, gathered. So it's for Israel and also the other nations. You guys see that? That's the drum I'm just beating over and over and over because that's the drum that Isaiah is beating over and over and over. Okay, 57. I don't know what I have up there. Oh, the clock. <coughs> the clock is always our enemy. Um, yeah, I got to go through this fast. But in Isaiah 57, he's talking about the sinfulness of Israel. <laughs> Keep it simple. <coughs> um, and he's using kind of these like spiritual prostitution metaphors. It's really strong. Um, and he says drink offering, grain offering. This is like six, seven, eight, nine, stuff like this. Um, memorial, bed. You've made a covenant for yourself with them. So Israel rejected the Lord's covenant, and they decided to go on their own way, and they're sinful. You wearied them. Come down to Isaiah 57, verse 13. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And what I wanted to say, you see this all throughout Isaiah and all throughout the prophets, is that it goes hand in hand with the new covenant is land promises. It's, it's not like it's just a spiritual covenant. There are physical aspects to it, okay? And you're going to see this in Jeremiah, and there are just passages I have no idea how you get around unless you see that there's some grand future new creation moment for the nation of Israel, okay? And so I just had to say that because it's very important, and it's because what the Bible says. Okay, move along because we have no time. Number three, good news. <coughs> His salvation will restore the world. You with me? 58? I know we're moving fast. I'm sorry. Isaiah 58, 59. Let's go to 59. <clears throat> Isaiah 59. This same servant in 59, 20 is a redeemer who will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring. I put up there Romans 11, okay? That's what Isaiah, or excuse me, Paul is quoting from, this passage right here in Isaiah. And actually, if you look at it, you're like, okay, well, I see two lines. There's actually two lines there where it seems like he's quoting from somewhere else. He actually is. I would argue Paul is reading all of Isaiah, and he's pulling together multiple passages. And he's saying all these passages are actually talking about one coming event when I would say there's a day in the future where Jesus is actually going to come from Zion and he's going to banish ungodliness from Jacob, literal Israel, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sin. There's a new covenant coming for Israel in the future. That's what I think Isaiah is saying and that is what I think clearly Paul is saying in Romans 11, but some will disagree. Alas, we move on. Isaiah chapter 60. <coughs> Chapter 60, just write this, because we're running out of time. Isaiah 60 to 66, <coughs> excuse me. God will save, but God will also judge. God will save, but God will also judge. You see in here, put this up on the screen, there's a lot of allusions in Isaiah 60 and 61 to the book of Revelation and the new heavens and the new earth. You see this here? It's talking about Israel. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations and kings and all this stuff. You see in Revelation uh, 21, 24, by its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. 
He'll bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So the Apostle John, what's he doing? He's picking up Isaiah, and he's saying, here's where it's going to be ultimately fulfilled. I've said this a couple times. Again, the prophets weren't dumb. They knew what they were saying. They didn't know when it would happen. They didn't know time, right? That, that's what First Peter 1, um, 10, which people will say, look, the prophets had no idea what they were talking about. No, they're actually very specific, especially what Peter is saying. He's saying, the prophets who prophesied clearly inquired into when the sufferings of Messiah would take place. That's actually pretty specific. When the suffering Messiah would come, Isaiah 53, and when the glory of the Lord would be revealed. They didn't know when those things would happen. Does that make sense? The difference between the two? Prophets weren't stupid. Okay. We have to move along. We're, we're doing good, though. We're doing okay. You're like, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. We're moving so fast. I'm sorry. Isaiah 65. <coughs> Isaiah 65. Um, this isn't what I want. Yeah. Isaiah 65, verse 9. <coughs> I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My, cho my chosen shall possess it. My servants, again, plural, shall dwell there. Come down to verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain. Again, this is key throughout the Old Testament. This theology of a mountaintop. Just important things happen on mountains. To make it simple. Eden was on a mountain. The river slowed down. Uh, the law was given on a mountain. Isaiah 2 talks about a coming mountain. Okay, mountains are very important. Looking forward to, okay, there's still a coming mountain. And you see that all of God's people will be there. Behold, my servants. This is Isaiah 65, 13. My servants, my servants, my servants, my servants. So the work of the one servant brings about the many servants. You see that? That's what Isaiah is building. Last thing. You're like, man, we barely made it. Do I have one? Oh, I do. Oh, I do. Oh, sorry. I'm surprised this thing hasn't glitched out on me yet. Typically, it like kicks me out, right? This last several times. Isaiah 66, very last chapter. <coughs> Isaiah 66, verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. It sounds like the end of the book of Revelation. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. And I continue on, Isaiah 66, verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make, we didn't talk about it, but Isaiah 65, 17 also talks about new heavens and new earth, and I would argue also talking about the millennial kingdom, because, well, we'll talk about this more, but there's no way to make sense of some of those passages without a reign, a literal reign of Jesus on Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, on a mountain, and it not be the new heavens and the new earth. And you're like, well, I have no idea what you just said. That's okay, we'll talk about it later. Um, for as the new heavens and the new earth, this is still coming, from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. That last verse, who says that in the New Testament? Sounds like squirrel, but it's probably Jesus. Jesus picks that up, talking about hell. Where's he getting it from? Isaiah 66. Okay? 
So we are out of time. I put there on that page theological themes and significance. <laughs> I knew we wouldn't have enough time. We, we didn't have enough time as it was <coughs> to get to these things. What I want to do, and again, it's kind of the same thing with this class. We're trying to get big picture, right? Hopefully you're getting that. You're like, we're skipping a ton of stuff. Yeah, and even the stuff we are covering, I feel like we're just, wow. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to do. But I hope that now, especially if you've been here the last three weeks, Isaiah isn't like a super scary book. I mean, there's scary stuff in it, like the theology of it, if you don't repent. But the book as a whole, like, can you like, you know what? I think I actually can understand, understand Isaiah. I know what he's doing, right? Hopefully. Is anyone encouraged to go read Isaiah besides me? Okay, that, that's what we're trying to do. Okay, here's how this book is moving. And maybe as you're reading along, you still have your notes, and you're like, wow, you know what? That really sounds like a coming new exodus. Or, wow, that sounds like new creation. I have to mention this because I just have to. Um, throughout Isaiah, there's this hope of that when the Messiah comes, and he does all this work, when the servant comes, when the seed of David comes, there will be a new creation. There's going to be restoration. There's going to be a new covenant. Okay, but we know when we come over to the New Testament, when Messiah came, did the new creation come? Yes, but mainly no. Yeah, this is kind of a trick question. Because what does Paul say? Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But I don't feel very new because I'm still coughing and stuff. And some of you more seasoned saints can probably, you know, you, you can echo that, right? And, and, and you look around the world and you're like, this is not the new creation. Okay, so you're left with, well, there's a number, there's a number of options. You can either say Isaiah had no idea what he was talking about, and he was just flat out wrong. Uh, the prophets and the apostles just spiritualized everything, and there actually is no coming new creation. Or that there's still a new creation coming. Okay. You could talk about, yeah, if you want to say the already and the not yet. Yes, we are presently in Christ, a new creation, but yet we still eagerly groan the redemption. The creation still groans, right? Romans 8. Okay. I had to throw that in at the last minute because... That also paves the way forward. Okay, you're dismissed. Jeremiah and Lamentations next week. Buckle up.